morning, everyone. Welcome to the Highway Community Podcast for December 26th, 2021. Thank you so much for listening on this Sunday, the day after Christmas. I hope that you have been able to see and experience God's grace in ways that are both tangible and intangible as you've journeyed through this Advent season. Well, today we are concluding our teaching series for Advent entitled A Great Light, where we have been reestablishing and recentering and rerouting ourselves in the liturgical practice of the lighting of the candles of Advent as we begin Highway Volume 2. And in addition uh, to being a physical symbol of Jesus's coming as the great light that the prophet Isaiah said would dawn in the deep darkness, each of the five candles of Advent represents a unique theme of the season, a unique theme that attunes us both to the story of Jesus's coming and to our anticipation of his return. The candle of hope reminds us that despite the darkness that we may experience and despite the darkness that exists in our world, there is hope in the fact that Jesus came as the light that not only shines into that darkness, but also overcomes it. The candle of peace reminds us that Jesus came to bring a peace that passes all understanding, both in our relationship with God and in our relationships with others, when we fix our eyes on him. The candle of joy reminds us that Jesus came to bring a deep and lasting joy that abides with us regardless of what our circumstances may or may not look like. The candle of good news reminds us that through Jesus' coming, God is faithful to his promises to see his kingdom take root in our lives and in our world. And this morning, we are going to finish our series by looking together at the final candle of Advent— which we lit at our Christmas Eve gatherings on Friday night. And that is the candle of love. The fifth and final candle of Advent reminds us that the great story of Jesus' coming, which will one day be completed when he returns, is ultimately a story of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son— that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The light that shines from the candle of love, the light that shines from the candle that is at the center of the table, invites us to remember the most simple elemental truth, and that is that God loves you. God loves you. And that is such an important thing for us to hear, no matter how many times we've heard it. Because for as simple and as elemental as that truth is, it's also, I think, at the same time, one of the most difficult truths for us to truly receive and live into. It's one of those things that, that we know so well because, you know, John 3.16, but, but that I think if we're honest, we struggle to fully embrace. 
And so this morning, as we come to the end of the Advent season, on this Sunday after Christmas, we're going to sit with this simple truth, using some really wonderful words from 1 John chapter 4 as our guide. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Notice the explicit connection that John makes there between God's love and the sending of his son, Jesus. Jesus' coming is an expression of God's love for us. Jesus' coming is an expression of God's love for us. Now, something that I really love and something that I really appreciate about these verses from 1 John chapter 4 is the way that John gives us this incredibly succinct, yet incredibly comprehensive picture of the nature of God's love for us. Now, John just sort of puts the cookies on the lower shelf for us in these verses. And specifically, uh, there are three truths about God's love that these verses highlight. And the first of those is that God's love is active. God's love is active. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 begins, This is how God showed his love among us. This is how God showed his love among us. John importantly reminds us there that God does not just tell us that he loves us. He's done something about it. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And so God's love is active. His love initiates. And that is something that we see all throughout the story of Scripture. But from the moment that the first humans are sent out of the garden after acting independently of God's wisdom and eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God, out of his love, initiates in order to restore what was broken. He initiates his mission of restoration. And that importantly reminds us that that no matter where it is that we find ourselves this Christmas in in our relationship with God, God never stops pursuing us. His love is active. And the coming of Jesus is the consummate example of that. It's the consummate example of God's active love, of him showing his love among us. God loves you, and his love is active. Second truth about the nature of God's love that is seen here in these verses in 1 John 4 that talk about the sending of Jesus is that God's love is undeserved. God's love is undeserved. Look again at 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Jesus' coming reminds us that God's love 
is not predicated on us loving him and then somehow earning or deserving his love. Instead, the very core of love is that God loved us first. His love for us is totally and completely undeserved. And that is something that can actually be one of the most difficult things, I think, for us to receive and embrace. Right? It can be hard to receive and embrace God's grace. It's hard to receive and embrace the fact that, that when we're not performing somehow, sometimes even just according to our own expectations, that God loves us anyway. Or when we're just struggling. You know, whether that's with the complexities of life in the midst of the COVID pandemic. Or with doubt and uncertainty. Or with forgiving someone. Or with loving someone who is difficult to love. God loves us anyway. Or when we're struggling to spend time with God. To spend time with him in prayer, struggling to spend time with him in the scriptures, struggling to engage with the church, that God loves us anyway. He loves us regardless. And for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then listen to the words that follow in John 3.17. John says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You know, John importantly reminds us there that, that when we, in the literal words of, of John 3.16, believe into Jesus, we are not condemned. And so, as followers of Jesus, we are free from condemnation because that's the nature of God's love. That there's nothing that we do or don't do to deserve it or to earn it. God's love is undeserved. And so, as followers of Jesus, we are to live with no condemnation. And one of the ways that, that that truth is powerfully reinforced, I think, is through the way that Jesus sees people throughout his ministry. In Mark chapter 2, when Jesus was gathering his disciples, and when he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, at the tax collector's booth of all places. He invited Levi to follow him and then dined in his home. Jesus saw Levi despite what the culture saw in Levi. In Luke chapter 7, when Jesus entered into the town of Nain and saw the only son of a widow being carried off to burial, Luke says that when, when Jesus saw the widow, his heart went out to her. In Matthew chapter 14, 
when Jesus landed on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and saw the large crowd that had gathered. Matthew says that when he saw them, he had compassion on them. In Mark chapter 10, when Jesus encountered the man who had great wealth, who wanted to know what he needed to do to inherit eternal life, Mark says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And in John chapter 21, when Jesus appeared to his disciples and saw Peter, who had denied him and disowned him, he invited Peter to feed and take care of his sheep. He saw Peter through the eyes of forgiveness. And Jesus sees you in exactly the same way. He sees you with eyes of compassion. He sees you with eyes of kindness. He sees you with eyes of grace. And he sees you with eyes of forgiveness. He looks at you and loves you exactly where you are. God loves you and his love is undeserved. God's love is active. It's undeserved. And then the third characteristic of God's love that we see in these verses is that it is sacrificial. God's love is sacrificial. First John chapter 4, verse 10 says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. As I hear that verse and think about Jesus' coming, I'm reminded of the story of Simeon in Luke chapter 2 and the blessing that he gave to Mary in the temple courts in Jerusalem after he had seen salvation in the person of the baby Jesus as he held him in his arms. Simeon says to Mary in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon knew the destiny of the child that he was holding. He knew that many would be caused to fall and many would be caused to rise. He knew that he would be a sign that would create tension and reveal the thoughts of many hearts. He knew that the way of this child would be controversial. And he also knew that the way of Jesus would be sacrifice. And his last words to Mary at the end of verse 35 are, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And so Simeon looked at the baby Jesus 
and saw 33 years into the future. And he looked at Jesus and saw the agony that Mary would go through watching her son pierced on the cross. And he knew that the salvation that Jesus embodied would involve sacrifice, which was, of course, in line with the words of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loves you and his love is sacrificial. And there's no better way for us to remember God's love and particularly the sacrificial nature of God's love than by celebrating communion together. Now, communion is the practice through which we remember how God has shown his unfailing love for us through the life, the death, and the resurrection of his son. The bread represents Jesus's body and the cup represents Jesus's blood. And through those elements, we remember the sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross so that we could experience life in God's presence both today and for eternity and participate in God's ongoing mission of making his kingdom come in our neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, and among the least of these. And so as we take these elements together this morning, may we remember the simple truth that so powerfully underlies them. May we remember that God loves us. Luke chapter 22, verse 19 says that Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. May we do that also in remembrance of him.
Father, we are grateful for these elements. And at this time of year where we celebrate the coming of your son, Jesus, we're particularly thankful for everything that they represent. Thank you, Father, for these wonderful verses from 1 John chapter 4 and for the way that they so simply and yet so profoundly remind us of the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of your love for us. Thank you, God, for the way that your love is active, for the way that you have shown and continue to show your love to us. And thank you, Father, that your love is not something that we have to earn, but rather God just is. You just simply love us anyways. And Father, I pray that you would enable us to really step into that, that we might experience the freedom of what it looks like to live in the reality of love and to live without condemnation. And Father, we also thank you this morning that your love is sacrificial as well. We thank you, Father, for the incredible gift of your son, Jesus, and for everything that his sending, everything that his life, everything that his death, and everything that his resurrection represents. Thank you for loving us. And as we take these elements this morning, as we remember your coming and look forward to your return, Father, we say that we love you as well. And it's in your precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen.